Welcome to episode number 280 of Destination Linux, a Tux digital podcast. Whether you're brand new to open source or guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan. I'm Jill. And I'm Michael. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be talking about completely awesome and unique extensions to check out for your browser. And by browser, I mean Firefox, because that's the only browser you really should be using. Then we'll be discussing big tech funding, the fix for open source security. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week, let's find out what Ryan's been up to lately. Ryan, what have you been up to this week in the oh, world of Linux and tech? Nothing big, Jill. Just this thing right here. Just this amazing thing right here. Nothing mm. substantial. Nothing anybody would want to get their hands on. Just the Steam nope. Deck right here <laughs> in my hands that I'm playing goodness. during the show. So if you guys notice I'm distracted during the show and you don't hear me commenting on anything, it's because I'm playing my Steam Deck right here that finally arrived. But the best part of the Steam Deck arriving is Michael hung out with me last week and it actually came while Michael was here. Now, if that you listen nice. to Hardware Addicts, you know Michael doesn't open things. It's this weird thing that Wendy and I cannot comprehend. He'll get some new tech and it will sit on his doorstep and he'll bring it in and he'll leave it there for days, weeks sometimes. It's insanity. Like, I was the type of kid <laughs> that as soon as I got in the car, I was begging my parents, let me open the toy. And that never changed for me. Even now, like, I get a new toy, I am tearing that box open and getting it out. So I say that because Michael actually got to experience what it was like to get a box arrive at the house, immediately tear it open, right, and play with the device. And you got to play with the Steam Deck too. I'm gonna do, of course, a bunch of videos on this, but I will tell you right now, the Steam Deck has blown away every expectation I had for this device, and my expectations were really high. <laughs> and just the interface and the beauty of the setup, it. The way that they took their custom Arch install and this interface that they've done on it is so well done. It, it absolutely blows away Nintendo Switch's interface or any of the portable consoles I've used in the past. Michael, though, what was your opinion holding the Steam Deck for the first time? Because unfortunately, you're not here. So when I do the video, I won't be able to get those impressions. So people will get them here. What was your first impressions of holding the Steam Deck? Well, I thought besides it was jealousy. Well, definitely jealous, jealousy for sure. Yeah. And, and also, um, well, basically disappointment because my, I still have to wait months for mine. But uh, it is very cool. And I was very surprised by how good the quality of the build felt. You were talking about the interfaces and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I think that just the overall feel of the controller with the screen, because I've never been a fan of the stuff like the Nintendo Switch and stuff like that where the controller and the screen are, t are together. There's always some kind of, the wonkiness of the controller doesn't right. feel right, and it's just weird to experience. But the the way the controller is laid out on this, it felt just totally normal, and it felt like a well-made controller that also happened to have a screen attached to it. So that was really cool. And I played uh, Devil May Cry on it, and it was a, a fun experience. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to do Rocket League because we were doing other things for th throughout the weekend, and it kind of arrived late towards the end of my trip. But... Uh, I do have an expectation that the Rocket League would be awesome. So as soon as I get mine, that's the first thing that's going on there, of course. But right. I thought it was great to have the the D-pad, the touchpad, 
the touch screen, the control, like the sticks that you could do, like the navigation in so many different ways. And the fact that you could turn on the, you know, not just the FPS stuff, but also checking the CPU and all sorts of stuff. And there's different levels and it's super easy to do through, go through all these things. I mean, I, I already expected a lot from it and I can happily say it met all my expectations and went beyond that. And it's, it's very impressive. Which is very rare for this kind of device. When you have a device that has so much hype behind it, you can still be excited, get it, and go, wow, this is really nice. This lived up to those expectations. But it's rare that a device has this much hype and actually exceeds those. And that's the right. case with the Steam Deck. And the, the other thing is you can dock this, of course, and use yes. it as a regular computer. So normally, a lot of people may be saying, well, I'm not going to spend that much money on a gaming device and things like that. And that's a very fair point. But people are utilizing this as a full-on blown computer that they can get other work done on. So it kind of helps get that excuse past your spouse or significant other of why you need this thing in the first place. But it, it's, I want to go back to the interface you didn't want to comment on, Michael. Um, this interface, what Linux distro is it based on out of curiosity? Oh, it uses, K, it, it uses KDE Plasma. So Okay. And so, then B, that, that's the desktop. What about mm, the distro behind it? What was that? Just out of curiosity? Um, I think it's, um, it rhymes with March. Arch, um, arch, uh, sure. arch, arch. Oh, that's arch? it. Arch. Yeah, arch. Yeah. Uh, the best implementation of arch I've ever seen, though. Like their customization on top of it has made just an absolute gorgeous interface that they've done. I'm just so proud of that team at Valve for creating this device. It's just, it's magnificent. It's everything I hoped and more. I can't wait. I'm supposed to get mine next week. I got yes. my notification Thursday and bought it. So. When we're flying the scale, I cannot <laughs> wait to have this out on the plane. And I expect a lot of people are going to be like, what is that? And so I, I'm going to be able to. I cannot wait to not have it because I will still probably be waiting. You might. You might. You never know. <laughs> it says July to September. So my expectations are September. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's kind of weird how the Steam Deck is one of the f only products I've ever seen that you pay more money and wait longer than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. get why it's a different, it's a whole different screen and it's a different technology and I, it takes longer for them to do that. I get it. But at the same time, I don't want to wait anymore. Gimme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, if you've been on the fence for the Steam Deck, uh, if you've, there's so many reviews out there, I'll be adding some to the channel, but the performance has just been amazing in gaming. Games like Devil May Cry 5, which is definitely a AAA title out there mm -hmm. and things, just perform so beautifully and look so good on this device. Mm -hmm. So definitely put that $5 reservation in and get you one because it's pretty awesome to have. So in our community feedback this week, it actually comes from Michael. Michael wrote the show for not some this, reason. Not this which, Michael. Oh, oh, it <laughs> wasn't you. Michael. That's different. There's more than one Michael in the world. Oh. Turns okay. out. Turns out. Well, if you want to send your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch or join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com. We always say that before we do community feedback, so I figured you just took it upon yourself to send us an email. But apparently this is a different Michael. They go on to say, uh, hello, Michael, Ryan, and Jill. I hope this email address is still valid. It is. It still got to us. Can you please advise how you do your Destination Linux podcast setup in OBS? I'm working on launching my channel and is basically going to be a two-up shot with interview focus with maybe a third frame for video. I'm using Jitsi and would like my webcam and my guest on my feed and perhaps another source, browser, a second guest, etc. All on my stream in the kind of same way you guys are set up. Any help is appreciated. Of course, links to help videos are also quite acceptable. 
Thank you guys so much for inspiration and motivation for launching my YouTube channel. Uh, I do not have the NDI and virtual cam OBS plugins installed. It would suggest they would need to be there by one of my friends who streams on Twitch, but his setup is not the setup I'm looking for on my channel. It's more of a talk show news format concept like Destination Links, the podcast. have yet to decide what my content is going to be. Regards, Michael. Listen, Michael, without doubt, the genius behind our show doing all of this setup is Michael. So Michael, meet Michael. And Michael, what are some tips you have for Michael? Well, Michael, great name, by the way. This is one of those questions that is very hard to answer because there's so many variables, but I'm happy to provide some answers and hopefully these will help you on your OBS journey. And let's address two plugins that you mentioned first, the NDI and the Virtual Cam. Both of these are great plugins, but for the use case that you laid out, I don't think it applies here. NDI is for having a multiple machines involved in the stream. For example, like a game streamer would have one computer right. doing the gaming and one computer doing the streaming, and NDI makes that possible. Uh, virtual cam is, a, is great as well, but mostly for taking output from OBS and putting it into something else that needs to capture a camera. So for example, if you have your output for OBS being captured into Jitsi, you would need virtual cam to do that. Uh, speaking of Jitsi, Let's go back to the scenario you described in your email. You were talking about using Jitsi as a way to record your video with the guest. And I'd recommend using Video Ninja instead. That's VDO, not video, but VDO Ninja. And that's the reason is because Jitsi has some issues that we've experienced with videos and the reliability of the software. It's really great for what it's made for. But you can go back to episodes where you, we use Jitsi and you can see cameras going in and out at random. Jitsi also at times randomly moves cameras around on the screen, which creates some problems for consistency. But ultimately, Jitsi was made for video conferencing. And it's great for that purpose because the issues that we, are, we experienced on the recording of the show isn't really a big deal when it comes to conferencing. So, I mean, they were frustrating for us in the recording, but that's not what it's meant for. Whereas Video Ninja is meant for that. It's specifically made for remote video recording and that sort of thing. So it works great for us. And I would say that's certainly something you should check out. Video Ninja is also complicated itself. So there would be a learning curve for that. There's just like OBS has. But one of the coolest things is that Video Ninja is integrated with OBS. You can actually, in fact, it started out with the name OBS Ninja before they changed it to Video Ninja. But Video Ninja lets you capture the camera and the audio of each person directly in OBS via a browser source or something else. You can do an electron, electron capture solution as well if you want to, to save resources depending on your hardware. But that's a thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of the, uh, there's a caveat to using Video Ninja. It requires a rather beefy computer to handle the software. Each camera would be in separate browser source or a separate electron capture, depending on how you would do it. But every time you do a separate camera or another another capture, it increases the amount of computing power you need to do it. So you will need a fairly powerful computer to handle all of these sources. Now you can custom, you can basically compensate in certain ways, but for the most part, it still will need a significant piece of hardware to do it. But I want to point out that Video Ninja is fantastic. It's some it solved a ton of the issues we here have on Destination Linux. And there, and it's also fantastic because it's open source software. That's just a bonus because it's fantastic and it's open source. So you can check it out and make customizations if you want to. Now it might not be for everyone because the more people you have on camera, the more powerful computer the director needs to have. So based on your needs, if you have 
a large group of people, six or more, you're, it's not going to be a great experience depending on how much hardware power you have on the director side. But for the example you gave of just one person, maybe th- maybe three people in total, like you plus a, get a couple guests, at that point it should be totally fine. And depending on your hardware, like yeah, I don't I don't know what kind of hardware you have, but so I can't guarantee it will be the best solution. But I do think it'd be a fantastic solution um, for most people. As for OBS itself, there are tons of variables to explain here, so I I would likely take up the entire runtime of the show. So that might not be the best course of action, but I will give some pro tips. I am a huge fan of OBS. I've been using it for a very long time, so I do have some actual pro tips to give you. And that is, first, turn on studio mode. It's awesome. And it allows you oh, to Let have, me take a note on that one. Yeah. Because um, Michael every came over and I didn't I turn it Every oh, time I'm at his, yeah. his, his computer <laughs> and he never has studio mode on. I was like, what is wrong with your OBS? Why does it look? Oh, you don't have studio mode on. So I, it's the first Default. thing I turn on. Yes, it is a default, but it's such a useful tool because it has the preview mode and the program mode. And basically the program mode is what you're recording and preview is what you're getting ready to send to the program mode. So it allows you to have stuff ready to go and switch back and forth. As you've seen in the show already, I've switched different scenes. So you have different visuals for the community feedback or the Steam Deck section and that sort of stuff. And that's how you do it. We're having the preview mode open inside of studio mode to be able to switch back and forth. And the other pro tip I want to give you, there's there's a lot of pro tips I could give you, but I, I think I've already done a lo- enough time on this topic, but uh, you can turn off the audio tracks in OBS settings. A lot of people by default have the default settings of using the audio tracks listed in when you click the settings of the application. That is not a great option because you're very limited in control there. So I would suggest turning those off and instead creating audio sources inside of your scenes is that will give you much better control of the audio for your recordings where you can change where the audio is being recorded to and the different tracks and all sorts of stuff. It's a much better solution in my opinion. And it also allows you to do really cool stuff with nested scenes. So you can put your audio in a particular scene and then have that scene be pulled into another scene. I mean... I, maybe I should just make a video about my setup that might be easier to explain everything because there is a lot of stuff, but hopefully that will be a, you know, a good way to get started on your journey with using OBS and you know, creating your own content. Nice. And good luck, Michael, on your YouTube channel. I have a name suggestion, maybe Tunnelvision. Oh, oh wait. That's I, the I've other already, used, I already used that one. Oh, the other Michael has yeah, that yeah. one. All right. Well, good luck on your YouTube channel and... Who knows? Maybe one day you could join us on the Tux Digital Network. It gets popular enough. You want to join the Tux Digital Network? Let us know. So while we use Video Ninja to record the show, we also use Jitsi to have our patrons and our patron-only post-show and the virtual stadium, and we do that by running it on DigitalOcean. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but... Standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be complex. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Plus, they can help you with every stage of growth, whether you have a team of one person or teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing at DigitalOcean, you can get growing whatever 
whatever size of team you have. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because they're going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And I want to thank Digital for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So much of what we do with our computers now revolves around the internet. Like when I get a new machine, the first thing that I do is get the browser set up, go and install Bitwarden extension, and then start signing into some of the critical accounts, including the accounts we use to produce this show. And I was looking at some statistics that were really interesting. In 2021, mobile phones generated 54.25% of all internet traffic but desktops still produce 42.9% of the traffic. It used to be desktops at all of it, but we generate a lot of internet traffic between these two devices. We're online a lot. And so that's why I wanted to bring in this theme to the show of talking about really unique and amazing browser extensions and add-ons because there are so many cool things that you can add into your browser environment to make your browsing experience better because that's why we have popular things like Chrome OS in there, which is basically an operating system that's just a browser because so much of what we do today relies on the internet. So with that being said, I wanna go through some of the picks that you all picked out, Michael and Jill, and then some of the ones that I found as well. Let's start with you, Michael. What were some of your awesome, amazing, cool extensions that people should go check out? First of all, for those who have watched this show before, they know that I have no choice but to say this. Firefox mm -hmm. containers are multi-account containers. It is a requirement. Now yeah. that I have said it, we can move on to other things. So <laughs> if you don't know what that is, by the way, check out the video. We'll have linked in the show notes that gives more details about what the container tabs are and why they're awesome because they are awesome. And in my opinion, the, anyone says that they would use a different browser I would say, well, I can't because this extension is so awesome that Firefox is the only option for me. Regardless of the other reasons, it's the only option because that's such an awesome extension. So, link in the show notes. Now, let's talk about some other stuff that I like. For example, simple tab groups. By the way, most of my stuff seems to be about organization and productivity. I didn't do that on purpose, mm -hmm. but that's kind of what it came out to be. But simple tab groups is really cool because you can organize your uh, tabs in different groups and you can also make it where those tabs are not loaded until you activate the group. And that's just a really nice thing to lower your resource usage and a lot of great stuff you can do with that. So I like to organ organize my tabs because I, I used to have a ton of tabs and now I have like a few per group and it's, it's way easier. Do you ever notice you open so many tabs and then you just leave them open sometimes and then you yep. go back to your browser and you've got like 18 tabs open? I was looking for a solution but couldn't find a good one that automatically starts closing tabs after a certain amount of time. Uh, there are a yeah. couple like that out there, but I couldn't find one that was actually worked consistently in there. But that was something I kind of realized in going through this exercise of looking for extensions that I do too much. I have too many tabs open and I never close them. It's kind of ah. this weird thing. Yeah. There's a, a <laughs> quick pro tip on certain settings you can do inside of Firefox. There's a way to, I forgot what it's actually called, but it's in the, ses the preferences and you can make it where it will not load the tabs by default when you load the app. Like you could basically close, all, like remember your tabs, then close the browser and then all the tabs that you have open are not running except for the one that you're actually using. 
And I think that that's a solution that could solve it. It would be kind of annoying that you have to close the browser to do it, but it is a workaround to be able to save resources but not close those tabs. So there is that option. But also simple tab groups can kind of do that where you can disable the group and say, I don't want this group running right now, so discard all the tabs. It will keep the tabs there so you can still activate them, but you can actually disable the entire group. So if you want to organize it that way, you can also nice. do it that way. Uh, there's other... Uh, things I want to talk about, like Stylus. Stylus is a really cool extension because, well, it's not for everybody. It's it's mostly for people who are very particular. So Ryan will at no point even remotely consider this. You lost me at particular. Right. Because that requires him to make changes and he's not going to do that. He loves <laughs> I don't know why he loves defaults, but Love he does. Defaults. Yeah. So Stylus is a way to modify an existing website with a CSS and you can customize the colors yeah. of stuff and just you know do whatever you want on any website you want to. But it does require setup for each website that you want to do that on. So it's not something that Ryan would ever use. Nope. And Read Aloud is a really cool extension for being able to take text and convert it to speech. So it will read a, t a page to you. And if you do the the reader view and activate that, it's kind of creating like an ebook for the web, but in a like an audio book style. And uh, there's quite a lot more, but you know, we can only list so many. And I, I don't I think I've gone on enough to so so Jill, what are some extensions that you would like to tell people about? Oh, definitely the Colorfish Color Picker. It's nice. uh, conveniently located in Firefox address bar. For it's, it's used for picking colors from websites and can be used for desktop as well. And it's really cool because you can copy RGB hex or HSL color codes into your coding or graphics apps. And it has, yeah, it's color picking history, which I was really happy about. And it's got a really nice magnifier to pick colors, so it's a lot easier to see for those of us who are visually impaired. This comes <laughs> really important nice. when I'm doing like logos and, well, YouTube thumbnails. And when I say by me doing YouTube thumbnails, what I mean is I mock up a general concept and make it so bad and I send it to Michael and say, here's the new thumbnail for my YouTube video. And Michael yeah. gets so upset <laughs> by the look of that thumbnail <laughs> that he goes, just let me do it. And so then he goes and produces a really good looking thumbnail. But what I at least try to do for him <laughs> is match the logo colors of the companies I may be talking about, right. whether that be System76 or whatever I'm, I happen to be talking about is match their color theme uh, throughout. And so this would be a cool option for I that. do appreciate I you giving me ideas of what I do the thumbnail on. And then sometimes I use your ideas and then other times I do it completely different in every way. Like 50-50. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate that you do give me something to work with rather than just say, here, give me I something. I want to show you I tried. But yes, that's what's important. That's what's important. Yeah, also, this, I tried. this color picker <laughs> extension is yeah. really interesting because really nice. I've been using the color picker that's built into Firefox, but it's really limited. It just pulls in the uh, hex data. So yeah. they, and then there's no history. So, and I've, I've ran into a couple of times where I would want a history. So I'm going to be checking this out because this solves a lot of my design issues that I need to deal with because I deal with colors all the time, fixing his thumbnails. Nah, yeah. And Michael, it's, it's so true. I mean, I use the HSL scale all the time in animation program. That means hue saturation and luminosity. Those are the codes we used in animation and graphics. And the fact that it has that, I was really, really happy because usually I get a, um, a hex code or RGB code and have to convert it. So yeah. <laughs> that was really, really, really convenient. 
And another one of my uh, <laughs> guilty pleasure actually here uh, when I'm on desktop in my browser in Firefox is I use the awesome emoji picker. <laughs> nice. Did, did this one shock you at all that Jill uses this, Michael? Like, Not I even. Had no shock at all. Yep. Like, of course she has an emoji picker. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I need that so I can do my my uh, smileys and, and my joy icons with all my penguins marching. <laughs> yep. It's very important. We need to make sure yes. that that is there. It's yeah. part of message. Jill's happiness because if you've never like had the opportunity to just message back and forth with Jill in a an element or something like that, it's just like talking to her in real life, except it's emoji explosions on top of the happiness. So like you know how people say you can't inflect emotion through text? You're wrong. Jill can perfectly. She's just as happy in a text message as she is when you're just talking to her live. And it's through the bombs of emojis, <laughs> right? It's, it's perfect because when when Jill started doing tweets for the network, I was like kind of looking about like, okay, well, did did I make this or did Jill make this? And then like for the scheduling, because I couldn't remember for a while. After a while, then I went and looked and was like, oh, that's easy to tell. When there's a ton of emojis, <laughs> it's Jill. Jill. <laughs> so I started trying to make my own Jill version tweets and putting in the emojis. Yeah, and I'm trying did. to make it Good where job. they can't tell, but you can tell. You can tell. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell. Aw, but you did a great job, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> and actually, there's another reason I like the awesome emoji picker is because it's very helpful for the X window managers I like to use. Window Maker and Flexbox that don't have emojis installed by default, like the big desktop managers. Right. <laughs> so very important. And I like that it's just conveniently located in the address bar. And you can actually pick from Apple, Google, Twitter, or Facebook emojis, Gross. or just, oh. yeah, I know. Or just Incredible. use the default from your OS. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and you can even adjust the size of the emojis, which stands this one out from other options out there That's for cool. emoji picker. Like yeah. And there was something really cool I discovered on this journey, Ryan, as we were going, and Michael, as we were going through this topic. Uh, something I recently found that I've been needing for my workflow in Firefox, and that is called Yet Another Speed Dial. You can create a speed dial page of thumbnails of your favorite and frequented websites when you create a new tab in Firefox or click the home button. That's nice. It uses the browser's bookmarks library to speed up dial so speed dials can be synced and backed up easily. And I've been looking for something like this for Firefox desktop because I use this feature all the time in the Vivaldi browser. Yeah. And in fact... I use the speed dial in Vivaldi to open all the websites I need to do destination Linux. And I did it this morning <laughs> when we were setting up uh, to set up OBS Ninja, Element Chat, Jitsi, YouTube, Twitch, and all the things that we need to produce the show. Yeah, so there's now nine applications on my screen yeah. right now just to do yeah. the show. Like, it's so much goes on behind the scenes to produce it. So you need something to help you manage that and get started in the morning. That's an awesome use case. Yeah. I, I've always loved the speed dial option that's created in Vivaldi, and the fact there's an extension mm -hmm. to add that in Firefox is pretty dope. I like that. Yeah, I just counted really cool. 11 programs on two different computers. I believe it. Everything. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the, the speed dial thing is really interesting because the Opera started that process. And, yes, yeah. exactly. And, and now, I loved it from Opera, and then Vivaldi adopted yeah. it, and now I can use it in Firefox. <laughs> right. 
And the <laughs> people who made Vivaldi are the people who originally made opera. So uh, it yeah. makes sense they would have speed dial. And when I started using speed dial in Vivaldi slash opera, it did change the way I got used to doing stuff. But mm-hmm. the uh, I haven't tried it in Firefox, so I might give that a shot. So I'll, I'll be checking this out when uh, we get done with the show. So Ryan, what are some extensions that you found through this process? I'm, you showed me one that I can't wait to talk about. Yes, and, absolutely. But before we get to that, let's talk about some, some other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I think the one that you're going to talk about is going to be awesome because there's going to be some new things that we're going to be able to do with our patrons yes. Yes. with that. This one I think is really cool, and this is called Tabless. So Tabless is kind of similar to what you were talking about with the speed dial, Jill, except... Yeah. This is a beautiful new tab page with a lot of different customization options. One of the few things that I like about Bing is when you go to Bing search engine, for instance, you get this beautiful picture background, right? And then you have a simple search box. And I always loved those pictures. Like some of the pictures they pick from around the world are gorgeous, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to use Bing. And so here comes Tabless, this open source extension (laughs) that allows you to add in. It has the same beautiful, gorgeous backgrounds that it switches between when you open a new tab, but it also allows you to add widgets on there as well. So if you want some speed dials or other things in there, you can customize and add different shortcuts and stuff to it. I just think it's absolutely gorgeous every time. And it's also simple. It's just the big picture. You Mm. can keep it simple. You could change it. You can have the time. You can have a welcome message, something to inspire you. Like try to be like Jill today or something like that. (laughs) You could put in the text to help inspire your day. But it's just a really cool extension I found that I adore. And I now have it across all of my machines. Also, I really appreciate the name of the extension. It's tab, but it's, it's tabless. But it's bliss, so it's tab bliss. Bliss, so, I like it. It is happy, yeah. I'm trying to be more like Jill in my life, Michael. I'm trying to be happy. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. Wait, well, me and me and Jill are basically the same person. As yeah, you're so similar. So you're so similar. similar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Michael extreme. <laughs> Michael extreme. Oh my gosh. So the the next one that I found is actually really important for something we've been wanting to do with the community. We geek out all the time in the Patreon after show and stuff about different shows we watch, different movies that we see. And we wanted to find a system in which we could utilize a watch party, a stream party with our patrons and others and be able to watch TV shows or movies, but across a bunch of different platforms. We tried to do this once, it was actually really fun, but the problem was the service we had only worked with Amazon Prime. And a lot of people don't like Amazon right now and refuse to utilize that. So we want something that's a little more flexible, something that could use Netflix or Amazon or any of the services out there so that we could set up stream parties. And that extension is called Jelly Party because the ones we were using before either wanted so many permissions, you would never dare install the thing on your machine. Right. And or they just didn't work well. Well, we tested Jelly Party this week, me, Michael, and Jill. And this is really, really cool extension that allowed us to, we just picked some random Netflix show and all of us were able to control pause and play. So you definitely don't want any trolls in it. Um, But we were able to uh, have a little stream party. So this is something we want to do with the community. Again, supports Netflix, Disney Plus, YouTube, Vimeo, Amazon Prime Video, and many more. It's free and open source as well. Uh, I do want to mention for this particular one, even though it's open source, this one is not monitored by Mozilla. So you may want to actually take a look at the source code and things, which I did. And it looks very above water to me. 
um, but just a really cool option for us to be able to utilize for stream parties and things. Or if you have family that's across the way uh, and you want to watch movies with them, or maybe you're on a road trip and you still want to watch a show with your kids at night, these are the cool things that you could implement into your day-to-day -day life uh, and through Jelly Party, which is just an awesome little tool there. It's also really cool the fact that it can support your own custom server. So if you have a Jellyfin server, it can do the same kind of playback uh, watch party system with that as well, which is just pretty awesome. And we, play, we played around with it, and it is impressive how smooth it worked. And I also really like the fact that unlike the other extensions that kind of do this, this only asked for permissions for the websites that it needs to be using in order to yes. function properly. That is very nice to see because the other one we were looking at was like, we want all access to everything you ever do. No, no, thank you. <laughs> and what's funny about that is I actually, with that particular extension you were talking about, the prior one, I actually found a way to fix it for them in Firefox's code so they wouldn't need all those permissions. I sent it to them in a ticket and showed them it works and they refused to implement it, which uh. really made me go, eh, no. Yeah, no. so because exactly. I, I wanted it that bad. I wanted something like that this bad. So whoever created Jelly Party, uh, thank you so much. This is awesome. It's perfect. Just the right amount of permissions and it's open source extension. Very cool thing we're going to be using in the future for some uh, activities with the community, which will be a lot. So of much room for activity. And, so much. Room and for I, activity. I love the theming of it. It was beautiful. The, co the colors were really nice. The, yeah. the user interface was nice. And it also has a video uh, conferencing aspect. Yeah, it does. Yeah, which so you we could, need to play around with. Yeah. You could turn on your video and other things and make faces yeah. during the show. Like, yeah. Michael, are you really making me watch this? You know, like stuff like that. I mean, this is perfect. This is exactly what we've been looking for. Something that works, that's open source. The code is transparent and it works with all the networks. And you can do audio and video with it as well as text chat. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome what they're doing there. So now I kind of want to transition to close this out on what are some extensions that you're just using? So these aren't as awesome as the ones we found in this experience. And of course, I invite the community to go to our forums and post the ones, awesome extensions you found out there. But what are your must-have extensions in every browser besides the one we talked about? Jill, let's start with you. What are some of your must-have extensions that are installed? Definitely dark reader. <laughs> so that web pages are nicer 100%. on the eyes. <laughs> yes. I use that too. Yep. Yeah. And I, I love how you can create lists of certain websites to have the dark turned on or or have the light turned on. It's, it's a it's must have. Really customizable and easy to use and a nice interface. And the other one that I love is the ghostery privacy ad blocker. I'm curious, Jill, why Ghostery still? Like, there's so many different ad blockers, like uBlock Origin and stuff. Why Ghostery? Well, um, I used to use uBlock Origin all the time. In fact, I do still have it. Some of my Firefox browsers on some of my computers, because <laughs> I have so many computers. <laughs> but uh, on here on my, on my broadcasting rig, I used Ghostery because back on Destination Linux episode number 213, we tested out the new Ghostery Dawn web browser, and I was very impressed by it and still use it today. You know, it's based on Firefox, has saved to pocket in Firefox Sync, but has Ghostery's clean, ad-free privacy search and privacy blocking by default. And I was so Im impressed by the web browser that we reviewed um, that I started using the extension on Firefox. Yeah, it is gorgeous it's, it's, looking, no doubt. Yeah, 
really beautiful and really easy, you know, for, you know, blocking ads, stopping trackers and speeding up websites. It's just a click of, a, of the mouse. It's interesting to me, like we all have different preferences for a lot of these extensions, but Dark Reader is on every one of our lists. So that's like yeah. a mandatory. I just noticed everyone has Dark Reader installed mandatory there. Michael, what are some ones that you utilize? So I have a few that I wanted to talk about. Uh, these are kind of specific to my workflow. So they're not that, you know, they're, I use Dark Reader and I use a lot of stuff like Plasma integration, which is super nice. But I like this one extension called Copy Link Text. Now, it's not that useful to some people, but I found it super useful to me. So if you ever been on a website and you wanted to copy the text of a link, so you have to you know select it and then right-click copy, this way you just bypass the selecting process. You just right-click it and copy the text. I know that that's not great for, you know, in terms of like this is a game-changing extension, but it's something I use all the time and it's been helpful to me. There's also another one that's similar called uh, Copy Selected Links that allows me to basically select a bunch of different links and then copy them all to my clipboard instantly. And that's super nice when I'm trying to do show notes for the show and things like that. So I enjoy those. But another one I wanted to talk about that I think has never been on this show ever is, is an extension for having virtual card numbers for my credit cards. So this is, I think, very important for privacy in terms of financial stuff too, because having a virtual card means that you're using a card that's associated to a particular website, for example. You can isolate it so only that company can use this card number, and they never actually see your regular card number. Now, there are some of the different credit cards offer this service themselves, like the one I use. Love them. Yeah, yeah. They, they provide it themselves. There's also other services that do this sort of thing, but I prefer this doing it through the regular credit card solutions because then you get all the rewards and stuff the credit card does because the other ones that I've seen like the third party ones are usually like debit card related so you don't oh. get any rewards so mm. you know I just wanted to put that in there because if you have a credit card that supports this kind of thing definitely look into it to see if you do and if you do I would highly suggest recommend uh, you know, I actually it. won't go with a credit card now that doesn't have this option I've gotten rid of two cards now that don't because my in my opinion, being able to rotate your numbers is one of the most important ways yeah. to protect yourself if you do any online purchasing at all. And even non-online purchasing, one of the cards I have is completely blank. There's no number on it. Uh, and then I can rotate and change that number anytime I want. So if I have a suspicious activity or something happen where I'm like, I don't know, this place is kind of shady, uh, I can just go rotate the number and they can never utilize that number again after that initial transaction. It's just such a great privacy and protection tool for mm -hmm. your finances out there. So Ryan, what are some extensions that you use that you'd want to talk about for this? Of course, Dark Reader, there's that. Dark Reader, of course. <laughs> well, I, I think you know that I'm going to go whole privacy and security here because that's my MO. So most of the extensions I run are privacy and security related. And I also want to mention that be careful how many extensions you're installing or that you're checking into their code and stuff because this obviously they're super convenient and we're talking about some really cool options, but also there's people who try to use that to exploit, to get your data and information. So you have to be very careful just randomly installing any extension out there. You want to do the best you can, even with our recommendations, go check them out, make sure they fit your requirements for privacy and security out there. Uh, but the first one of course is to install privacy badger, this extension by the EFF who I absolutely love. 
uh, stops advertisers and other third-party trackers from security tracking where you go and what pages you look at on the web. Uh, so that to me is one of the best options out there. We talked about Dark Reader. Ublock Origin is the one that I use. So Jill mentioned the Ghostry. Ublock Origin has just been out there forever. They're one of the most trusted blockers out there. They've never been a sellout and a lot of ad blockers have. So there's a lot of them that you may have been recommended at some point, but they've been found to kind of sell out later on down the road. And Ublock Origin has kind of stayed consistent all the way through, which is why I love utilizing them. You've got Firefox Relay. This creates, we're talking about the virtual credit cards. This creates email addresses for signing up for services online. And so Firefox Relay is free, but you only get a couple. I think you get three of these email addresses that you can rotate and change. But let's say you're signing up for a service, creates a fake email address, but it actually routes the email to your actual email. So you can still get the you know, code one-time codes or other things. And then if you decide, you know, I don't want these emails from that company anymore, you can delete that email address and they have no, they have no knowledge of your actual email otherwise. So it's a great masking tool for that. And I also utilize DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials, which does things like enforcing encryption, blocking of tracking scripts, GPC privacy preferences, and blocking of tracking cookies. But I know DuckDuckGo's been in the news a lot lately and even recently. And so I'm sure that's going to bring up some people talking about issues with DuckDuckGo. And the thing that basically came out recently is that in DuckDuckGo browser itself, not the search engine, the browser itself on mobile devices, there wasn't tracking, there wasn't tracking protection from Microsoft's third-party tracking scripts. And this was due to some type of syndication agreement that they had with Microsoft. And so this has created a lot of, not only people who are very upset for this rightfully so, but also people who don't really understand it. They think it's happening in the search engine and everywhere else, but it's really just their browsers um, directly that have this problem. But the CEO, Gabrielle Weinberg, replied to this accusation that our Microsoft search syndication agreement prevents us from doing more to Microsoft owned properties. And then goes on to clarify that to be clear, when you load our search results, you are anonymous, including ads. Also on third-party websites, we actually do block Microsoft third-party cookies in our browsers, plus more protection, including fingerprint protection. What we're talking about here is above and beyond protection that most browsers don't even attempt to do, which is stopping third-party tracking scripts from loading on third-party websites, because doing so is complicated to do without breaking the site. Either way, the thing here with DuckDuckGo uh, is that this is kind of the second time Things have popped up with them, and it's starting to create a question in people's mind of whether DuckDuckGo is that company that um, is really out there to protect your privacy and security. And I'm not going to give you land on an opinion right here. I think more investigation needs to be done. But I only mention that because it's big news right now, and I mentioned that particular extension. Am I still going to use it? Yes, I absolutely love their beta, by the way, on my phone where they block all of the tracking and ads that are coming from a bunch of apps that you install, which also have equal dangers as extensions of having too many apps and things installed because they can be privacy disasters. But most of my stuff is that big, boring, dark privacy stuff, the tinfoil hat stuff. You know, that's me <laughs> out there. But those are a lot of the extensions. That well, I'm you doing. did find Jelly Party, so we're, we'll ex yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll let it go because yeah. of Jelly Party. Exactly. Right, perfect. And I do love the DuckDuckGo browser on mobile. I, I, I've been using that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, everyone's going to have a different opinion on this. I don't know where I land 
they need to be more transparent. Let me put it that yeah. way. They need to be a lot more transparent about what they're doing. Because the thing with the privacy community is they're going to find out. They're going to dig and they're going to find out. So you might as well just say it right up front what you're doing there. But you know what has zero controversy? And the first extension I mentioned I install every single time I have a new computer build, a new phone or anything. I wonder what that could be. Hmm, I wonder. Bitwarden. Bitwarden. Oh, right. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. A password manager is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing you have the tools to store all your passwords in a secure vault that's encrypted. And this allows you to auto-generate those passwords for you and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to. Another cool feature they just ruled out is that they can auto-generate usernames for you as well because this is a huge security hole and they've been thinking about that. If you use the same username across every site, I've been guilty of doing this with sites myself, then this creates a situation of once I know that your username is Michael Loves Dos Geek and that's what you use everywhere, Michael, then I just have to figure out your password. So now oh, I'm no. one All step of my closer accounts to are hacking. Now compromised. Uh, I shouldn't have probably everywhere said that publicly. No. <laughs> Michael loves Dos Geek. He uses everywhere, banking, all that stuff there. But that's why you want to use Bitwarden because you can rotate that username <laughs> anytime you want. And what I love about Bitwarden is you can access your data across any device. You like web browsers, mobile apps, desktop applications, no matter what operating system that you're using, it better be Linux, but no matter which one you're using, you use Bitwarden. And you can do that on the command line as well. They give you everything. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data and the encryption before it ever leaves your device. So trustworthy. I absolutely love this service. Go right now to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Or you can get their $10 premium account. That's $10 per year, by the way, not month. That's $10 per year to support this amazing software that's done so much for the open source community. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux and get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. All right, so in our news this week, we were talking about security. You know, probably some people who think I'm a tinfoil hat person were like, whatever, Ryan, I don't care. I install everything. Google can have all my information. Yay, all of that stuff. But there are others in the Linux community that actually take this stuff seriously. And we've had some issues with our software where certain things like Log4j have popped up and created these major security issues and they've gone unpatched for a long time. And what I found interesting in this news story is the Linux Foundation and the Open Source Software Security Foundation announced a 10-point open source and software supply chain security mobilization plan. That's a mouthful right there. Right. And what this mobilization plan does is it allows them to receive money from giant companies, tech giants out there, and they've received in excess pledges of over $30 million to help fix this infrastructure problem. And what's interesting is Brandon from The Pseudo Show, which if you're not subscribed to The Pseudo Show, you need to be subscribed to The Pseudo Show. He had an amazing recent episode titled Giving What We Can, which discusses the problem with lack of infrastructure funding for open source projects and how it can leave us vulnerable. Uh, just does an amazing job covering that topic. And when you look at what's being done here with these two foundations coming together to kind of try to help solve this, this is really, really important for open source and for continuing the support of the security and privacy that we all love from open source projects out there. Jill, what was your reaction to this news when you first saw it? 
Oh, boy. So when you, I actually remember distinctly President Biden signing the executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. I mean, that was incredible, but it was the speech that he gave beforehand. I remember actually being so ex- excited and cheering when President Biden said the words open software, and that's what we needed for our government and national security. Woohoo! Finally, <laughs> finally, we have a president that said the words open software. It is pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he know what he was saying when he said open software? I'm not sure, but some tech advisor advised him to say that. And that's pretty yeah. cool because open source is... You didn't... Yeah. Yeah. He said open in a generic term and he obviously probably yeah. really didn't understand it. But he, you know, talking with the, the dignitaries from all the different tech companies realized after they talked to him that how important this was and that other governments are utilizing open source software. And Michael, what did you think when you saw these organizations coming together to create this pledge to kind of solve this issue? Finally. Yeah. Basically, basically there's a... That was of, like a Captain Planet pose. Yeah, it it, it kind of was. It kind of was. So it's 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 kind of a thing that uh, a lot of people have talked about over the years of the different organizations taking advantage of open source and not putting back into it. So it's really nice to see all these different companies that are putting money into these these foundations to solve these kinds of issues with the infrastructure and that sort of stuff like the log4j issue that you talked about and also there's been many over the over the course of decades for these projects that are massively important that have maybe two three people or even less maybe even one person working on this project that is critical to so many different infrastructures and other projects and companies and even governments and not having hardly any backing by any companies that are using it, making millions and millions of dollars on top of this one person's work, and this person is doing it in their free time as a volunteer. That is a That was a problem that is essentially a long-term problem over many, many years. So to see this kind of thing happening to address those is just awesome. It's fantastic to see that, and I'm very happy that these kinds of organizations are working to fix such a critical piece. There's an there's also an XKCD comic about this <laughs> technology infrastructure and how it's very important. And it says it's giant uh, Lego blocks of things. And there's one little bitty tiny thing at the bottom says one random person doing stuff for open source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so true. <laughs> the whole thing could fall down because this one project doesn't have the support. And now these kinds of organizations giving those hey. support is just fantastic. Well, I think you're seeing it recognized on a government level, too, because you're seeing governments utilize. They've always utilized, but you're seeing it more. So they're utilizing more and more open source code than ever mm-hmm. before. And they're probably even utilizing more open source code than they even recognize. Realize, this, yeah. Brandon from Pseudo Show did this fantastic <laughs> comparison. You got to listen to that episode. But he talks about some of the stats of surveys that were done with institutions that do a lot of homegrown applications. And a lot of them were saying, oh, we don't have open source code in our, because they don't know, they don't know uh, these homegrown things, how much they're utilizing it. But from a government standpoint, this is a national security issue now at this point. So having that one single person developing this super critical infrastructure piece is very dangerous from a national security standpoint when something like that can be left completely unpatched and not fixed in there. And so you've got companies like Amazon, Ericsson, Google, Intel, Microsoft, VMware, all of them pledging money 
uh, to get money into the hands of those um, individuals to help fix this, these problems and secure and patch the underlying infrastructure of some of this open source code, which is amazing to see. Do you think you're the best pilot in the galaxy? Yes. yes. Pro <laughs> Prove it by flying dangerous. Michael and Ryan, our game spotlight this week is Fly Dangerous. Fly Dangerous is a game where 60 G's of acceleration is just fine because who needs realism? <laughs> Perfect. So true. Perfect. Yes. I'm sold so far. Yeah. So you can configure your, your flight stick, mouse, keyboard, gamepad, or even a steering wheel and take it to the skies at absurd speeds. The game also has a VR support and has racked up 74 mostly positive reviews so far. And Fly Dangerous is currently free to play on Linux from day one. Awesome sauce. And I actually love this flight simulator racing game. I spent, honestly, um, now several hours playing the game, the time trials in the game. Nice. And each map gets harder to fly as you progress. And it is essentially Fly Dangerous is really a physics flying game. It's kind of like a, a racing game that's not a racing game that I've been playing a lot, Trackmania, where it, Trackmania is a, a physics game. It's like Hot Wheels where you're going through loops, loop-de-loops and, and obstacles to get around the track, but it's a time trial game. And Fly Dangerous is the equivalent, but, you're, but instead you're flying and you got to get through your different checkpoints and um, obstacles like going over mountains, but do it at a fast speed so that your time is better than Michael and Ryan's. <laughs> Not never possible. Beat us. Not yeah. possible. Impossible. We're the best pilots <laughs> in the galaxy. We already established this. Yep. Yeah. And the uh, the music is really cool for each each level. It's upbeat and it really keeps you engaged. And I was impressed that there was a different soundtrack for each map. <laughs> it was really cool. I was very impressed. It's very nice for an early access game. And again, it's free to play. <laughs> That's always yeah. nice, for sure. I gave yeah. it a shot. I played a little bit, and it was a, it's a fun game. And I think, and especially the free to play thing, that's impressive. Like yeah. the amount of game, like when I see a game that it's free to play, you know, there's a hit or miss. It might be a uh, you know a mm -hmm. early access game or something like that. But in this case, it was a really nice experience, and it looks great. And it also, I have a little bit of a cheat in terms of being good at Rocket League. A lot of the mechanics are similar to the, yes. to the flying mechanics. So I was like, hey, uh, I've actually got skill in this already. Yeah, That's weird. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's no soccer ball, though. So I don't know how I you're was disappointed <laughs> in that. That's true. If I could have a soccer game with, with uh, spaceships, I mean, you've got me. 100%. I just kind of found it funny that you would use a steering wheel as one of the options they listed for I the know. game. I know. Interesting. Right? You know how silly it would be, like, flying to the moon with a car steering wheel or... Even racing yeah. a spaceship with a steering wheel? I don't know. It just doesn't fit. I you need a joystick. Like, yeah, but yeah, how do you, I do, also, how do you I pull wanted, up with the steering wheel? and everything? Oh, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. I would use... I actually want to hook up my uh, flight stick to it. My old classic flight Microsoft stick would be perfect <laughs> for that. flight stick. Yeah. yeah. The multiplayer is still experimental. So Michael and Ryan can all play together, but it's still experimental. But we can still have some fun with the time trial. try it, yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to get my steering wheel out. I don't have one, but I'm going to go buy one <laughs> and just see if I could beat you all with a car steering wheel. Do you imagine in Star Trek, you know how in Star Trek sometimes they're like, hey, 
I'm going into autopilot and then a little joystick like Jill's talking about comes out. Imagine yeah. if like a Cadillac steering wheel popped up out of the console. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, Kirk. I'm going to get you through this asteroid field. And they're, yeah. You know, turn into, <laughs> I don't know. That's it just funny. cracked me up. I don't know why I'm stuck on that. It just kind of cracked me up uh, using a steering wheel to fly a spaceship. Flight yeah. stick, definitely. I've seen people use steering wheels on games that make no sense at all just yeah. to kind of see if it's possible. If it like works. Like platformers and stuff. And it usually does not work, but yeah. it was kind of fun to see them do it because they had no chance of, you know, getting used to it. And it was just, it's just fun to see people doing it. So when you mentioned that, it just made me think about like, we should try to get steering wheels so that we could try various games in that as a controller method and see how terrible. Ooh, Ryan, I challenge you to a steering wheel mm-hmm. fight in Citrus Rampage. Oh my Ooh, goodness. Steering wheel yeah. fight and citrus rampage. I don't know if I would accept that challenge because it makes no sense, <laughs> no sense to use a steering wheel. And si- but I will challenge you in Fly Dangerous because I feel like I'm the Anakin Skywalker of flying and you're Luke Skywalker who put the thing in the swamp. You know, like those yeah. are the equivalents of <laughs> yeah, our but also driving capability. They got training afterwards and he was the best. And you're talking about becoming like Vader. So, <laughs> I mean, like, what? I mean, if the shoe fits, right? <laughs> And the other thing I got to ask, Jill, is uh, I didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to play the game, which makes no sense because I have a Steam Deck here, so I should have just downloaded it and played it. But I didn't get a chance to play it. Is there a GPS in case I get lost? (laughs) That's a wonderful question. Yeah, I never looked for one. I don't need one. There's no no GPS. How do I know which way to race? How do I know how to go forward? There's no no map with north, south, east, west. I can't wait to see you play this game. We have to stream it because this is amazing. Because I'm going to tell you something. So (laughs) the joke is Ryan's not the best at navigation. Directions. And I... Nicely put. And and (laughs) we were... We were uh, when I was at his house recently. We he challenged me like, "Can you get back from here?" And I was able Again, to find yeah. us back, find the way back, no problem. And that kind of annoyed him. But what's great is that this game, if you lose your like navigation, you're done. Like I yeah. just gave up. I would just Crash. reset <laughs> the map and say, like, "I can't wow. do it. I have no idea." So to see you experience that, I can't wait. <laughs> I don't know if I want to play. If there's no like navigation to tell, turn left 100 feet, turn right. I'll just oh, be that's... doing circles the whole time. Like my ship will just be <laughs> turning in the 360 You'll degrees. You'll get stunt points, I think. Oh, cool. well, that's, All right. that's part of the physics puzzle challenge of the game. <laughs> I'm navigationally You got to be good with directions. I am not. So if you're like me and you're... Not going to play that game because there's no GPS. You can check out this app, though, for your other games called Boiler. (laughs) So Steam has the ability to add your non-Steam games to its library, but it's a little bit of a pain sometimes to navigate, especially if you have a lot of Steam games. Thankfully, we have an app called Boiler, which is a Flatpak app that takes care of this for you. This app allows Steam input from games like Epic, GOG, and Uplay. The goal is that you don't have to leave your Steam library to launch games from other launcher stores so that you can find all your games in one place as they're available. You can also use Boiler to manually and automatically download custom art from Steam Grid DB, which is kind of cool too for your game. So if you have a ton of games, which I'd imagine Jill, you might have, I don't know, mm-hmm. 10 or 20 games or so, or 500 <laughs> or a thousand or Thousands. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then this might be a cool app for you to check out. Uh, you will need to put the location of Steam in the settings before it starts importing. So you could use something like 
the command in the terminal which Steam or whatnot to find that and put that in and it'll find your games from there. This is just so wonderful because I have spent literally probably hours, you know, bringing in my uh, games into Steam, you know, from outside sources, whether they just be downloaded, loadable open source games or from GOG or other other parties. And it takes forever. It was taking forever to go through each one and customize it. And right. now you can just do it really easy with a click of a button and import them. <laughs> See, someone in the open source world had the same problem as you, Jill, and created yeah. this cool flat pack. That it. That's what's so awesome about open source. Yeah. I was at Ryan's house recording some videos with him, and we came across an issue where we needed to convert some video into audio so we could fix some of the audio issues that popped up. So this week's tip of the week is using FFmpeg to do just this. There are multiple ways to do it, whether you have multiple tracks or you want to do just a direct pull in the audio from one track. There's many, well, we'll have some details in the show notes for the full list of things, but this is a brief breakdown of how you can do it. So you have the FFmpeg command, and then after that you do dash I, and then input.mp4, or whatever file it is, like mkv, and you have dash vn output, dot mp3 or wave or flack or whatever you need to do and the above command will convert the input video file to an output audio file so the vn switch indicates that we have disabled the video recording in the output it's super powerful there's a lot of different switches that you can do and there's even stuff that i haven't mentioned yet so quickly the ar you can change the audio frequency there's ac you can choose different channels and also ab allows you to change the audio bitrate for the output so many great stuff and you can also use the map command which allows you to pull specific tracks from a video so if you do like what we do we have an mkv that has multiple audio tracks and then i can pull a specific audio track using the map command and we'll have all this information in the show notes FFmpeg is super powerful, and it has been a lifesaver in so many ways, including this particular one. It's also going to help the other Michael in the alternate universe, Michael, that's starting the YouTube yeah. channel, Michael, exactly. that we talked about earlier. So you're welcome, Michael. FFmpeg is a huge <laughs> help for there. So that's something you should definitely learn and check out all the various switches that you can do. And speaking of hooking up, Der Hans has hooked us up this week with all the conferences mm -hmm. you should getting prepped for to go to. In fact, Scale is the number one conference you should be prepped to go to because Jill, Michael, and myself are going to be there in person at Scale July 28th through the 31st. You do not want to miss that, and you're going to be able to find us by looking for the absurdly tall person, which is me, or you're going to look for the <laughs> penguin hat. Why are you laughing, Michael? You're going to look for the penguin hat, and that no would reason. be Jill there. Yes. Uh, you can also attend all... You could also attend other awesome conferences like the OpenSUSE conference, which is June 2nd through the 4th, which is in person. You have Southeast Linux Fest, June 10th through the 12th. And you have the Open Source Summit North America, which is in person or virtual in Austin, Texas, June 21st through the 24th. And then you've got Guadalajara MX, July 20th through the 25th. That's as good as I'm going to do on that, all right? I don't know. So the Guadec conference Guadet. for the Gu no, Gnome community is, is in Guadalajara, Guadalajara, Mexico. Guadalajara, I said, Michael. Get it right, you Michael. Said Guadalajara. It, you said it perfectly. I was Thank just you. I was reiterating how well you did it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, great. Yeah, and that one is July 20th through the 25th, the Guadalajara and then you have Nest with Fedora, <laughs> August 4th through the 6th. 
<laughs> so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at dlnlive.com. The best part is everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week, and we can't wait to see you in the chat. Also, we have our glorious patrons with us in the live stream because we have the access for the virtual stadium that we have. It's a 60,000 square foot virtual stadium that they can join in and have conversations before, during, and even after the show where we have the patron-only post-show that happens every week right after we finish recording. And in addition to that, they also get access to unedited versions of the show if they can't make it live so they can still see all the, the crazy chaos that happens with the show because, you know, sometimes... Not everything gets into the edited version. So if you would like to see every part of what makes this show fantastic, then you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to sign up. And you should also check out the store we have for Tux Digital where you can pick up all kinds of great swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more. So check it out by going to tuxdigital.com, clicking on the store link, and you can get access to all sorts of great stuff, including things like, well, we actually had a live, a live comment in the chat recently in this this particular episode talking about trying to find the Linux is everywhere t-shirt and I provided the link directly in the live chat so there's other benefits of showing up live there is that as well so if you want to do that go to touchstudio.com click on the store link and you can get some awesome swag and make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Tux Digital Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon. Everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.